We are a couple weeks away from the end of our first sermon series in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. So if you don't know how to pray, you're in good company. That's what Jesus' disciples were like, and they were like, hey, teach us how to pray. And he gave them what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Um, Brother, would you put up, Caleb, would you put up the Lord's Prayer again real quick? Um, And so this week and next week, we're going to finish this out. And tonight we're on this last petition, this request. Deliver us from the evil one or from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What a stunning way to end a prayer. Deliver us from evil. Bum, bum, bum. As if our lives are daily in danger of destruction. As if from the moment we wake, we are in danger of being handed over to evil. This is no prayer for spiritual heroes. The disciples of Jesus ask how to pray, and he tells them, if you look at the very beginning of this prayer, it's in Matthew chapter 6 or Luke chapter 11 is another version of it. He begins by telling them to, 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 to pray like little children to their father and to finish with a plea that they might be delivered, rescued, to assume that they are daily in the clutches of something that they need to be saved from. Let's pray. Father, would you send your spirit right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, a rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, in high school, I was in um, a junior ROTC program uh, for the Marine Corps, and it was, it came with a lot of getting made fun of, uh, but it was a phenomenal leadership development opportunity, and I learned all kinds of things about like American history, military politics, how to iron clothing, which has turned out to be really helpful, um, how to be a part of a team, It's a huge thing. How to stand very still in line for a long time. I learned a lot of things. And I discovered a tremendous amount of fear of heights at military-based obstacle courses and confidence courses. I got to ride in tanks. I wore uniforms every every Wednesday on campus and people would be like, where are you at, Jason? I can't see you. You know, like this this, this or whatever. Uh, I did a ton of push-ups because I was always smart enough. Uh, yes, sir. Don't call me, sir. Yes, sir. Sergeant Major, sir. Get down and give me 10, Mr. Leonard. That was like a thing. My last name is Leonard. Okay, that's the sort of thing. Anyway, during my three years in this program, this junior ROTC program, um, there's one thing that I heard more than anything else still rings in my head, and, and it almost always preceded push-ups, okay? Proper prior planning prevents poor performance, Mr. Leonard. Get down and give me 10. You know, that was happening all the time. Listen to that. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. This is like the, this was ingrained into my head when I was in this ROTC program. I hated that, okay? And, and I, I, it's coming to mind when, when I get to the end of this prayer. It's coming to mind, this proper prior planning prevents poor performance. When I hear Jesus instruct his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He warns his disciples and I'm just going to help you do some math in case you have never done this before, okay? The, the, Bible, the Bible is not written to you. It's not, even if it's written for you. It is, it is a cross-cultural ancient library written to a people of Israel and to Israelites and Gentiles 2,000 years ago around the Middle Eastern empires, 
of the world um, about what it looks like to who God is and who they are and what it looks like to follow Him. But the church, for the last 2,000 years, has understood that this library of texts contains in it something for us today. And so, maybe uh, for some of you, you can come to the conversation tomorrow at lunch about, I don't even know if we're going to have any answers for you, but there's some questions about the authority of the Bible. Um, but, I, but to help you do some math, sometimes I'm going to talk about what Jesus says to his disciples, because that's a faithful way to understand what's going on in the text. And then we have to do some math to go, is, is this also for me? Other times I'm just going to say it's for us to do the math for you, okay, and I might interchange that a little bit, so you might have to do some work, but... All right, I'll be up here afterwards if you want to talk. Okay, so Jesus warns his disciples, and I will say by extension us, that they are going to experience trials and tribulations. He tells them to expect it. They should watch and pray because the flesh is weak. He told them to take heart and remember that he has overcome the world because they're going to need to remember that, that they should prepare, that they should be ready. All throughout the New Testament, there's this unity of voices telling followers of Jesus to expect trials and temptations. Peter, in fact, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, the one through whom God started his church, Peter, he specifically says, be careful, do not think that something strange is happening to you when you're being tempted. God knows how to deliver you from temptation, Peter says. Stop being so surprised when it happens. Jesus tells his disciples this wasn't going to be easy. Faith is a fight against the reigning power structures of the world and an all-out trust in the upside-down nature of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say things like, the last shall be first. That the king of the universe came to serve, not to be served. Do you know that's what he wants tonight? He wants to serve you now, still. That suffering isn't to be avoided, but entered into on behalf of others for the sake of love. That to save my life, I have to lose it. I mean, this is upside down, crazy talk. And to have faith in Jesus and his kingdom, and that this is actually the way of the universe, takes, it's a fight, that's a fight. So we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This this cry at the end of the Lord's Prayer assumes that we need help to live in His kingdom and, and to live like disciples of the King in the kingdom. And that every day we are going to need to be delivered. Well, delivered from what? Well, in a word, evil. Evil, which is lurking everywhere. Our hearts are deceitful. The desires of our flesh wage war against the Spirit. Our thoughts can stray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he talks about sin like it's this invader in our bodies, like it's some kind of virus warring within you. And as he looks at at this battle with sin in his very body, he cries out at the end of Romans chapter 7, who can save me from this body of death? These are people who are pioneering our Christian faith. These are the, these are, this, this Paul is somebody who wrote basically half of the New Testament. And he is saying that part of his experience following Jesus is crying out, who can save me from this body of death? What is this evil that we need to be delivered from? Many of us, I think, in this room know all too well what we need to be rescued from. 
Many of us do, not not all of us, but some of us, as we start talking about temptations or being delivered from evil, we are aware of the evil which lurks in our own minds and in our hearts and in our flesh. But that is not the only evil that we need to be delivered from. We are told in the letter to the Ephesians that, that we can be swept away by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness in the deceitful schemes of the culture around us and in our midst. It's not just evil lurking within us, it's evil like present in the matrix, in in the systems and schemes of the life around us, evil riddled through theological fads and cultural schemes and soul-sucking patterns of life. Deliver us, O Lord. Those systems which make it harder for us to rest, to trust, to relax and to breathe. The norms which keep us distracted and defensive and in despair. Not to mention systems of injustice and multifarious evil spread far and wide around the world. Deliver us, O God. Evil is also, of course, manifested in the evil one. Some manner of personified evil at war against God and His very good creation. Christians call Him Satan. Jesus says He was a murderer from the beginning. He comes to lie and steal and destroy. Peter says He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. When we pray, God, deliver us from evil, we mean all manner of evil. Everything we need to be rescued from ourselves, the course of this world, and the evil one. Snatch us from the pit, O Lord, today, just today, lest we be overcome. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this every day. That's what this prayer means. You'll note that it's not a request that we wouldn't have any trials or temptations. If you want to pray for that, it's fine. You're not, it's not bad to pray, God, I would love to not have any trials and temptations today. Feel free to pray that way. Jesus in, tells his disciples to give any desires that you have in your heart to God. He delights to give you the desires of your heart. Please give them to him. But when he teaches his group of disciples to pray together, he doesn't teach them to pray that they would avoid or stay away from or not encounter trials. He teaches them to pray that they would not be given over to them. It's a a prayer for perseverance and for victory at the end of a day. It's not a prayer for comfort. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. The disciples of Jesus were tempted. Paul was tempted. You and I, every person in this room, experiences temptation on the daily, and we're told that we will experience it often. Based on Jesus' guide for daily prayer, we can assume that we'll experience it every day. And therefore, we pray, God, lead us not into them, which really means, this is really tough for me because I wanted to, at the beginning of the semester, um, use a translation of the Lord's Prayer that gives a better sense of what it means, but this is probably like the kind of sentence that you will pray often in churches in the English-speaking world, and, and I don't want to do something that's counter to unity in the church, which is a massive ethic that ought to be a massive ethic for us is being able to sit down at the same table together and have unity. And I didn't want you guys, I didn't want to give like a translation and then you go to some other church and you're like, well, I like the translation, the college ministry better. I don't want to do that. So we're we're using this translation, but let me just tell you, God does not tempt anybody. 
That's abundantly clear. This is not about God. God, please, sometimes you lead me into temptation. Please today don't. That's not what this is. This means literally like it's the assumption is that I'm going to be tempted and I'm, I'm, the trend is that I'm going to go down into it. Would you lead me out of it? That's the other scripture passage that we had read today from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, if you're looking, if you're taking notes or something. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is always at work to provide us a way through and above and over our temptations. This is a request for perseverance and victory. This is a prayer that we would not be overcome by our temptations or given over to them, that we will experience them, God, but do not let us fall prey to them. Save us, rescue us, deliver us from evil. Until all things are reconciled finally and fully under the feet of Jesus, we will fight daily battles with temptation and we will be on the brink of being handed over to evil. This is the way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray every day and so let us be sober about reality. Christians are called to have their eyes opened and to be awake to the realities of the world and to, to not be asleep or drunk on some fad, or in the church or outside of the church, or ignoring the real injustices and sympathies and experiences and dynamics of the world around us, but to be sober and wide awake. And if all this sounds a little over the top, it is only because we have yet to really attempt to follow Jesus and live the life he has laid out for us. Because if we do that, that's not like a, I'm not trying to like be harsh. I mean, just think about this. If we do that, if you actually attempt to get up, even tonight after you leave this place, in this very room, and then as you leave this place and go home, definitely tomorrow as you get up, if you actually attempt to love your enemies, love your enemies, whoever it is that you feel like is making your life miserable, who stands in your way, Who's plotting your evil? Love them. If you attempt to do that, to outdo others in honor, to literally be competitive about being more honorable with each other, to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good and not let go of it, to be an ambassador of reconciliation in your dorm room, in your classroom, with your family, at your work, in traffic, in lines... If you attempt to live the life that Jesus has laid out for us, you will find all at once that you really need all the help you can get. And so we are encouraged and are, or we, sorry, so we recognize and are ready for trials and temptations which come our way as we try to embark on this Christ life. And we look to God who is able to save us from the uttermost and saying, God, how can I do this without your help today? Forget the next five-year plan or 10-year plan. Just to get through today, God, in my attempt to forgive and to love my enemies and to outdo people in honor and to be an ambassador of reconciliation, to remember you and to give thanks in all circumstances. I need help, Lord, today. God knows how to deliver his people and he delights to do so. So Jesus teaches us to pray this way. And as we go about this prayer, assuming for a a minute that this is something you're going to embark on or you're trying right now even, looking to God for daily help, I think three things are going to be really important to remember tonight. And you're not going to get many three-point lists from me, so you may want to take some notes. Uh, Okay, first, 
Caleb, you got some slides or no? All right, first one's ready. Okay, first, friends, do not mistake temptation for sin. Do not mistake temptation for sin. Maybe the devil or his agents and the forces of evil are bringing evil into your life that you must fight, but you experiencing temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted and was without sin. You will be tempted. Some of us get train wrecked, like right from the start, because we believe that we've already lost the, when the battle has just begun. Like I experienced temptation and I immediately moved to despair. Like if somehow I was doing this right, I wouldn't be tempted. And we give up right away. You experiencing temptation is not sin. You giving into it is. Jesus was tempted in every way and did not sin. Temptation is not sin. But we don't want to be given over to it. And, and, and giving in is always easier than struggling against it. It's one of my, my sort of uh, linguistic pet peeves when, when somebody says, um, yeah, you know, I'm really struggling against blank. And I'm like, are you struggling or are you just kind of laying down and letting it win all the time? Are you really fighting? I, do I, am I fighting? Am I fighting against the temptations inside of me? God, if I begin to try to like rise up and stiffen my spine and, and, and strengthen my knees and lift my head and square my shoulders to the battles that I'm fighting, I will realize, God, I need help. I need help. All kinds of wisdom in what it means to get help, friends. There's all kinds of wisdom. We don't have time to get into tonight, but there's all kinds of wisdom. It's not just, although it may also be a mysterious kind of divine connection of spirit power, whatever that means, okay? Like some of us think that's what we're waiting for when there's all kinds of ways God has already said how you can get help if you trust him. And if you want to talk about that, I'll be right up here afterwards. But we do, we ask God, God, please, would you deliver us from this? Brothers and sisters, if you have believed that your temptation means you're far from God, or that you've already lost, that isn't true. You have it on Jesus' word that we should expect it to be tempted. We should expect to be facing trials and temptations and tribulations and, and, to cry, and to need to cry out to God to be delivered. So do not believe that being tempted means you've already lost. That is a lie from Satan and it's straight from the pits of hell. This is the first thing that will help you is to know that temptation does not mean that you have sinned. Temptation simply means that you need God's help for deliverance. The second thing which will help is knowing the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Satan. God convicts, Satan accuses. God speaks truth, Satan lies. You may, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you may feel guilt. I'll keep it on the same side with God and Satan the whole time so it's not confusing. You may be convicted and feel a sense of guilt, which moves you to a kind of confession and repentance which means change. Gosh, I feel guilty about this, and I, I really need to not do that again. I need to tell somebody I'm sorry, and, and, and I need to change. The Spirit of God can do that work and often does that work in us, but God doesn't deal in shame, which moves us to despair. Shame is Satan's domain, not God's. And shame leads to despair. That's where it leads. God offers hope and second chances and mercy and grace. Do you know what your shepherd's voice sounds like? 
The Spirit of God convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. The Spirit of God reminds us of the things Jesus said. So among the incalculable reasons why you might want to store up the Word of God in your heart and in your mind is so that when the Spirit of God brings to mind the things of Jesus, you can recognize His voice. God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. His means of grace are ever-present. He is with you, even this evening, offering you a way through and over your trials and temptations. Do you know what He sounds like? Can you hear Him? Now, it is not promised that those who follow God will hear His voice in some mysterious, audible way. Some of God's people do testify to that and experience that, but that's not what I mean. Even if you never hear something audible from God in this life, He has not been silent. You wouldn't be here if He had been. You wouldn't be in this room tonight if He had been. The church of God has been speaking God's Word on down through the ages. His Word has been proclaimed before you even this evening. If It can be heard in the songs we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the words we recite at the Lord's table. After we read Scripture together, often in the church around the globe, we say something like the Word of the Lord. Because we believe it is once again proclaimed in front of us. He has not been silent. Do you know what He sounds like? So that when you're in the midst of your fiery trials this evening or tomorrow, you can hear him and not confuse his voice with the evil one or the culture or those other lovely voices in your heads. My fellow brother and sister sheep, let's become more and more familiar with the voice of our shepherd who loves us and delights to rescue us from our trials. And finally, friends, proper prior planning. The Apostle Paul says that the days are evil, that we must prepare if we are going to withstand the attacks of the devil. This is from Ephesians chapter 6. And the language is really important there, that Paul says that we must prepare every day in order to withstand the attacks of the devil, which means that if I don't prepare, what's going to happen? I'm not going to be able to withstand the attacks of the devil. If I am not proactive, I've almost guaranteed a trajectory for my day. While this world is in open rebellion against God, the natural course of things trends toward death. One way we are sure to fail is to assume that we're going to make it through the day without needing to be rescued. Actually, one of the seasons within a college sort of um, rhythm of a year, one of the seasons that, that I get, uh, my heart just wells up with compassion and I feel such a tremendous kind of sense of like protection or I want to fight on your behalf for you is actually in longer breaks where I, for 20 years, I've been a college pastor for 20 years, and, and I see people just look so forward to sleep and eat and eating unhealthy and indulging in entertainment and escape. And all, all of those things are fine so far as they go in doses, okay? But, but I see people like in a summer or over Christmas where you might have three weeks off or something. And I go, very few people come back healthier, you know? Like almost all the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're planning like a whole season to do nothing but indulge? This is going to be terrible. You're going to make some horrible decisions, you know? And it's because the trend 
of the natural course of this world, if we do not cry out for help from God and plant every day, listen, if you're not following Jesus, maybe you're like, dude, this is crazy. I don't know what kind of person you want to be or what kind of king you want to follow or what you want to give your life to. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you've seen in him something compelling, one of the things he's going to say is to be like me and to live in my kingdom, you are going to square your shoulders to trial for the sake of love. And if you do not prepare, what do you think is going to happen every day? Now, His mercies are new every morning. You don't have to, God's not in the business of making you pay for 364 days of, of ignoring Him. There are natural consequences which may come from that in your character, in your friendships, in your life, in your body, with your finances, with all kinds of things. His mercies are new every morning. If right now you're like, God, I want to just this evening before I go, by the time I lay my head on my pillow tonight, are your mercies new for me right now? Would you help me to overcome Because even the thoughts that you might have as we come to the table or the ways you might feel about yourself in a big social environment downstairs or how you feel walking back to your dorm room, going back to whatever life you came from when you walked in. All that's waiting for you. And and I'm so thankful. You don't have to share my, my gratitude for this. I just, I want to testify to you. I am grateful when I look at Jesus and I see him being sober about the world. And I see him going, hey, this is not like some kind of sleazy sales pitch. He looks, he, he, so often in the, in the scripture, like the gospel accounts, when somebody says, I want to follow you, Jesus, he goes, are you sure? Count the cost. Are you sure? And, and think about what Christians testify to in the life of Jesus, who gave his life up as a ransom for many who did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And then Christians are people who say, I want to be like Jesus. I so adore him, and I'm so compelled by who he is. I fall in love with him. I want to be a part of his kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world, though I must live here faithfully too. I want to be a part of a kingdom where the poor are blessed. I want to be a part of a kingdom where meek people inherit the world. I want to be a part of a kingdom where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are satisfied. I want to be a part of a kingdom where people who mourn are comforted. I want to be a part of that kingdom where you don't just get in because of your IQ or your height or the color of your skin or how much money's in your bank. I want to be a part of this kingdom where the poor in spirit get to be first in line. What's that kingdom like? And Jesus, if if you're compelled by some of that, by the fact that that might be truer than the kingdom of of the postmodern West, that that, the postmodern West is going to end one day, it it will rise and fall like, like empires do, but the kingdom of God will not only last forever, it will one day be manifested in full. And I want to be a part of that kingdom. And if you say yes to that, Jesus is very sober. It's going to look like my life a little bit. I'm I'm so compelled by this, this idea of waking up every day and going, if I'm going to love my children the way they ought to be loved in the kingdom of God, because they are not accessories for my life, they don't just exist where I'm the center of the universe and they're fundamentally and first my kids. No, they're not. They are as central to the history of the world as I am just like your parents are as central to God's heart as you are. Your parents do not just fundamentally exist as your parents. 
They are human beings made in the image of God, right? So when I wake up in the morning and, I, and I'm tempted just like you are to see myself as the center of everything, but I have my kids and my wife and, and you guys and, and, and coworkers and, and people on the road to live a life where I outdo people in honor and love them instead of loving myself first, trusting that God takes care of me. So I'll be okay. Whew. Let me lay my life down on behalf of others. That, Lord, I'm going to need help to do. That I'm going to need help to do. Some of you probably do have very acute things in mind tonight as we're talking about trials and temptations. Some of you do. Peculiar temptations, which would train wreck your life if you give in to them. Trials which, if you were handed over to them, would end your relationship or your reputation or potentially even your life. Please fight, friends. Finish the race. You are not being tempted beyond what you can bear the scriptures tell us. God is nearer to you right now than when you first believed, and he is preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You are not experiencing something which is uncommon to humanity. There is a way out and through. The Lord knows how to rescue his people. Look for him. Deliver us, O oh God. And for the rest of you whose Tuesday was just fine until I started talking, okay, there, there are trials for you even before this night is over. You have it on Jesus' word. Maybe it's not letting roots of bitterness go deeper in your heart than they've already gone. Maybe you're tempted to hoard and cling to things which you ought to be generous and open-handed with. Maybe you're going to be tempted to withhold forgiveness from somebody. Maybe your trial tonight is loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Even if that's yourself. Jesus prayed not that we'd be taken out of the world, but that we would be in the world and kept from the evil one. And that is how he instructs us to pray as well. Not that we'd be saved from the experiences of trials and temptations, but that we would be brought victoriously through them. It's, it strikes me that one of the things I hear as a major criticism of Christians in the West right now is how much Christians are angling for comfort. As if we don't believe in the resurrection. As if we don't believe that God is working on our behalf and will give us what we need. We are instructed to pray, not that we'd be safe from temptation, but that we'd be strong and steadfast in the midst of it. Looking to the Lord, our God, for deliverance, we are those who know we are helpless on our own. And so we remember that our Lord has gone before us and shown us the way, and He's with us even now. He is our ever-present help in the time of need. Lead us not into temptation, O Lord, but deliver us from evil. And one day, friends, one day, when all things are made new, this prayer will be transformed into a declaration that will sound something more like, Father, thank you that your kingdom has come and your will has been done on earth. Every need of ours has been supplied. Every sin has been forgiven. Everything on heaven and earth has been delivered from evil. It is truly just as we have prayed. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory now and forever. Amen. And amen.